Hey, just a quick note before this show starts. Uh, I had originally intended to put it out in the traditional Ask Me Anything kind of format, and I was going to cover all kinds of the questions you guys wrote in with so many excellent questions, and I was going to cover them all on one episode. But uh, when I finished recording, I realized that I had gone way too long, and then when I started editing, I realized that these first two questions that were asked uh, actually went really well together, and I felt like they kind of deserved to stay uh, on an episode on their own. So this first episode that you're going to hear only has two questions, but I think that they go together really well, and I've got the rest of those already recorded. I'm going to continue editing those out, get that out in a week or two, and if you have more questions that you want me to answer, continue to write those in, and I can't, can't wait to hear from you and can't wait to answer your questions. So with that being said, thanks for listening. Let's get started. Yes, welcome to another episode of the Make America Garrett Again podcast. You're here for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode. Uh, I apologize that it's been so long. Um, To be honest with you, uh, I just had to lay low for a while. Uh, They were canceling everybody. They were tearing down statues. Uh, They got to Aunt Jemima. They got Chase from Paw Patrol. And I just had to lay low and make sure that they didn't get to me too. But it seems like we are safe. Uh, we're in the clear for now, and um, obviously I'm, I'm just kidding. I've uh, been incredibly busy, got a lot going on, and uh, just haven't had time to sit down and record things. But when we did our last episode, when I talked about systemic racism, I talked about uh, a lot of the problems that I think that we have with race and with the police and a lot of those things, I said that I would probably do an Ask Me Anything episode for the next show, and Thank you so much for sending in questions. Even if I didn't get to your question and I miss it, uh, don't feel bad about sending that to me again, saying, hey, this is important. I want you to cover it. Let me know. Got a lot going on, and sometimes I do forget, so I apologize for that. But with that being said, let's just jump right into it. I've gotten lots of questions over the kinds of things that have been going on over the past month or two. Man, you people on the West Coast are crazy. Uh, Portland and Seattle has just been nuts the whole time. So, with that being said, let's just jump right in. First question comes through my email, which is garrettagain at pm.me. Just one R in Garrett. And this says, what is the left trying to do with the defund the police movement? Uh, I know I lean conservative, but the thought of having no police absolutely terrifies me. What are they getting at here? Um, this idea has been tossed around. We've heard a lot about it. Uh, there's a, there's a really good Donald Trump commercial on TV right now where someone is calling 911 and instead of getting a 911 operator, they get a, a recorded message and it says, you know, that the police have been defunded. There's no one to call. Uh, you know, if this is a, if this is a robbery, press one. If it's a rape, press two. You know, and we'll try to get back to you in three to five business days or something like that. And it's a really powerful commercial because it really does tap into a lot of our deepest fears. And it's really a scary thought because that's the thing that almost everybody, you know, even your people who are, are the most anti-government of people think, well, we probably at least need a government to be there so that if someone starts to break into my house in the middle of the night, 
I have someone to call to come and help me. And the very basis, even when you get to your your most libertarian people or your most minarchist people, they say, hey, the government should be there to protect my rights. And one of my rights is, is not to have my house broken into or not to be robbed at gunpoint. And so most people will at least give that as, you know, one of the main reasons that the government is there, the main reason that we should have police. By the left digging at this and, and attacking this, um, they're really striking fear in the hearts of a lot of conservatives and, and a lot of just more of your normal people. I mean, even centrists, you know, they want somebody to be able to call. Now, we've talked about this before on this show. We've talked about the uh, Warren versus the District of Columbia case where the police didn't respond to a robbery and rape call and um, they didn't do anything about it. And they took it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, yeah, they don't have to protect everybody. They're just supposed to protect the general public. So uh, even then, i, I got to be honest with you, if someone is breaking into your house, um, it's still probably up to you to fend off that intruder because when there is an emergency, when something does go down, uh, you are the first responder to that event. And a lot of times, the police are just going to show up later, and they're just going to take notes, and they're going to take a report about what happened. You know, depending on what their response time is, I think seven minutes is the, th- the one that I hear the most. But if you're in a bad neighborhood, they may not show up at all. Or if it's a busy night or they're understaffed or whatever it is, uh, they may not show up for a long time. So I think we've got to be honest with ourselves in the beginning and say, listen, the police probably don't do as much as a lot of times we, we think that they do. And, and their base purpose, which is to hopefully show up at our house if we call 911 in the middle of the night. Um, a lot of times they don't do that. So we have to keep that in mind. But even if not, I mean, even if we, we give them the benefit out, even if they do what they're supposed to do, what, what do we, how do we handle these calls to defund them? And what would that look like? And I think that this is another example. I mentioned this in the mob mentality episode. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more uh, in another episode when I when I do my episode about why the left seems to always win at everything. I'm going to talk about it there as well. But this technique is called setting the anchor. And if you read uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, a really, really great book on negotiation. And um, he was a hostage negotiator for the FBI, tells a lot of really cool stories, and um, you learn a lot about how to negotiate in that book. And one of the things that they do, he talks about, is setting the anchor. And what setting the anchor means is that when you throw that first number out there, or your first proposal for a deal that you want to make with somebody, that you really skew it very heavily to your side. And hopefully what that does is that influences them and pulls them heavy in your direction, right? So, Um, If you're selling something and somebody gives you a low-ball offer, they're trying to bring your perception of what price you could get out of that way down. And the the left, the Democrats and the left, are very, very good at this. And we talked about it in the Mob Mentality episode. Uh, I think I said, you know, that they asked for a 20% tax increase when the Republicans were trying to do like a a 5% decrease in this this theoretical case that I set out. And so both sides compromise and they they settle on a 10% increase, right? They meet in the middle. So instead of bringing it up 20, instead of dropping it down five, they meet in the middle with 10. And what really probably happened in that type of scenario is Democrats just wanted 10 in the first place. 
But they knew if they asked for a lot more than what they really wanted, um, they would be able to settle later on, and I put that settle in air quotes, uh, for the original thing that they really wanted because they asked for a whole lot more and had to settle for just what they wanted. And they, they still won in the end. They're still moving the needle in their direction. And I think that that's what's happening here with this defund the police thing, right? Like I said, most people with any kind of sympathy toward the government, with any kind of sympathy toward their safety or security or anything like that, um, you know, we've talked before about, you know, anarchism and how we believe that the free market could solve these issues and how we could have a private police force that would protect you. But we know that that's also kind of getting deep into theory. And we can talk about that it would probably happen, but we know that when you talk to people, nine out of 10 of them, they absolutely want to have the police available when they call them, right? So when the left brings up a phrase or a proposal to defund the police and instead reinvest that money in all of these other programs uh, that are going to help people with their mental health and are going to help people with... uh, eviction problems and uh, drug problems and all of that stuff. And when we talk, when they talk about things like that, what that is, is that is a drastic proposal. That is something way above and beyond anything that most people would be willing to agree with, right? Most people want police. Most people want them to be there. uh, Even if it's just as a security blanket, even if it's just to think that they're going to be there in case you need something, you want to have that as an option. So They know that when they say, we want to defund the police and take all of that funding and spend it on all of these new programs and these new types of of peace officers or public safety officers or whatever you want to call them um, that are going to do these different things in a very progressive manner. What they know is going to happen is that those people are going to say, wait, 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 we will give you whatever you want Okay, we'll compromise, we'll give you a lot of money for things, but you cannot take our police away. And so what they will settle on is keeping the police and giving a lot of these progressives uh, these new programs and these new, you know, like I said, peace officers or public safety officers or mental health experts or whatever it is to respond to some of these types of calls. And look, uh, I'm open to hearing suggestions on how that could be structured. Uh, I think it's it's certainly true that there are a lot of mental health issues that the police, uh, the way that they're trained now, just aren't equipped to, to deal with. Um, there's a podcast out there somewhere. I can't remember what the show is called. Um, I think it's called Behind the Bastards, if I remember correctly. Um, but the episode is called the, the Man Who Taught Our Cops to Kill. And uh, it is a very, uh, definitely a biased podcast episode, uh, in case you couldn't tell by the title. Um, And I've listened to a couple different podcasts by this host, and uh, he's a far left kind of guy. He's he's sort of blue-pilled, very much, he's very intelligent and very well-read, but he also is, kind of takes the the mainstream media's view um, that, you know, anybody to the right of center is stupid, and they're all gun nuts, and they're all ignorant, and, um, you know, anybody who voted for Trump is, is... you know, a a secret KKK member and that kind of thing. Um, So not exactly sharing the views of a lot of what we've talked about on this show, definitely more of a MSNBC type of person. But he goes through uh, this guy who has trained a lot of the police officers. And with a lot of the 
training that the police officers receive. It's definitely worth listening to, um, but you just you you do understand going into it that you're going to get a pretty skewed perspective that's probably not going to give you the whole story. But what he talks about is that the police are trained to basically believe um, in this program where this guy has, has trained a lot of these police, and uh, the Minneapolis Police Department is one of the, the big ones that he had done a lot of training in. And, of course, that's one of the areas where you've seen a lot of violence against lots of different people, but especially when we talk about the big news stories, uh, lots of violence against unarmed black men. But in that training, they are told and kind of taught that basically there are three types of people in the world. There are good people, and there are bad people, and then there are the the sheepdogs who watch over the good people and protect them from the bad people. And it's a really easy way to simplify things, but definitely not the best way to handle things when you're dealing with some sort of mental health issue. So somebody's having a mental health crisis, and maybe um, maybe they are in danger of hurting themselves or could be in danger of hurting someone else, and the police just roll up thinking that this is either a good guy or a bad guy, and if he's potentially going to hurt somebody, then he's obviously a bad guy, and the best thing that we can do is to, to take him down with force. Um, that may not be the best way that we can handle things. So I, I do want to say, like, I am open to having people who have more specialized training and focusing a lot more on de-escalation, I'm open to having that conversation about how we can have those people brought in in those situations so that uh, if somebody is you know, bipolar and they've, they've run out of medicine or they've fallen off their meds or whatever it is, that, that maybe we don't have to shoot and kill them uh, just because they had an episode, right? But once again, going back to the defund the police conversation, Um, What they want to do is they want to scare you and they want to say, hey, we want to take away your police and replace them with all of these different things. And of course, people are going to think, well, what happens if I get robbed? What happens if somebody breaks into my house? And so you say you can have your programs as long as you don't try to take the police away from us. And uh, I think that that's a a perfect example um, and a perfect strategy for them to get what they want because they are going to get what they want in a lot of these situations because people are going to say, um, you know, the police are not up for debate. And we'll give you what you we need to give you so that you stop trying to take the police away. And uh, John Oliver came out and talked about that a lot, too. And, uh, you know, Michael Malice had some great commentary on, you know, what all of that meant. But basically, they were coming out and saying, you know, well, defund the police doesn't really mean defund the police. It just means that uh, we need to, you know, kind of dismantle the system and rebuild it back up and blah, blah, blah. But that's what that means. When I when you hear defund the police, you just have to be honest and, and just take a step back, take a deep breath and realize, look, they're not trying to get rid of the police. Instead, they're asking for something drastic so that they can get a quote-unquote compromise and land on what they really wanted in the first place. Uh, okay, next question comes. Uh, actually, had a friend text me and ask me this one. Um, guy that le- leans to the left for sure. And said, um, you know, when it comes to these protests against the police, um, why wouldn't you join Antifa? If Antifa is anti-fascist, you know, does that mean that you would rather be fascist? I think it can lump this in as well with uh, the Black Lives Matter conversation. And when we talk about the phrase Black Lives Matter versus the organization Black Lives Matter, we get into the same type of thing. So I think both of these things, we can kind of lump them in together. But look, just because they're called anti-fascist doesn't mean that they are anti-fascist. Any more than just because I call myself the Pope 
doesn't give me the authority to walk into the Vatican and start making calls and making changes about how the Catholic Church is going to handle itself or anything like that. This is something that, that we see a lot. We see it in government. Um, you know, the Patriot Act uh, has nothing to do with patriotism. There's lots of those kind of things. Um, you know, the, the CARES Act is the one that has been passed during all of this coronavirus stuff. And, you know, the truth is, if they actually cared about us, uh, they wouldn't be taking away our jobs and locking us down and, and taking away all kinds of our liberties just because they can't. So just because you give something a name that sounds good doesn't mean that that organization is good. doesn't mean that... Um, they are ultimately reaching the goals in the best way possible. And it doesn't mean that I need to jump in on it just so that I don't feel like I'm a bad person. The thing that I said was, look, if Antifa were actually anti-fascist, sure, maybe I could jump on board with that. But when we look at what a lot of these people are advocating for, they want the, the party or the mob or the government to clamp down on people who have the wrong ideas. You know, they want to clamp down on the, the, the free speech of people who are saying the wrong things. They, they want to take away guns from people who want to protect themselves and, and make sure that only uh, the people in power are the ones who have that so that they can enforce their laws and that kind of stuff. Um, they want to take away your money and your wealth and, and redistribute those to people who are more deserving of them according to their beliefs. And to me... Those things sound awfully fascist. And when I talked to my friend about this, the thing he brought up was, yeah, but don't you agree that police brutality is a problem? Don't you agree that the police need to be reeled in? And as you heard me say on the last episode of this podcast, yes, I do. Yes, I am very much against police brutality. Yes, I believe that a lot of the stuff that's going on is the fault of the police, not all of it. You make sure you listen to that last episode. We give a little bit more nuance there. But that doesn't mean that I need to go all in on your movement and become a card-carrying member of Antifa just because Antifa happens to have a problem with some of the same people that I have a problem with. And we're seeing a lot of the same conversations being had now around the Black Lives Matter movement. Because when you look at the people who are actually in the Black Lives Matter organization, a couple of leaders actually refer to themselves as trained Marxists. If you go to their website and you read their goals, one of the things that they want to do is they want to you know, break down the traditional family and you know, change the way that we look at the nuclear family because that's, that's another big thing about Marxism is that families really get in the way because people tend to take care of their families more than other people. And in the Marxist view, that's not really good for society because if, if I care about my kid more than I care about your kid, then that can cause problems with me wanting to give up my money and my property and those kind of things uh, for the greater good. And so that's a real issue to them, and the nuclear family really gets in the way of that. And so it helps them to be able to break apart the family and break down the family and move to something where, you know, the kids aren't so much your responsibility, but that they're the society's responsibility, that it truly does take a village to raise a child, and that way the village gets to educate your child the way that they want to educate them as well and that kind of thing. So they have a lot more control under that type of system. And so when somebody talks about, you know, why don't you support Black Lives Matter? or Why won't you post things with the hashtag Black Lives Matter? Is it because you're a racist? And of course, the answer is no, I'm not. And I do believe that Black Lives Matter. And you've heard me say on the last episode of this podcast, and we've talked about it a lot of times before, we denounce racism. We're against racism. We don't think that that's okay. But I also don't think that it's in the best interest of, of black people or anyone else 
to break down the traditional family and to move toward a Marxist system and to move toward the redistribution of wealth and to move toward more regulation and more laws, I don't agree with any of those things. So sure, I'm with you when you say that black lives matter, but when you tell me that if I'm with you that I have to go in on all of these other things that come along with it, that's a problem to me. And that's where I've got to jump off the boat. So I would more than happily support you from afar. Uh, I would more than happily, you know, march beside you on the things that matter. But I'm not going to join your club, join your group. I'm not going to fly your flag just because we agree on some points. That doesn't mean that I agree with everything that you say. And I think that's really important. But that that's something that's a really powerful persuasion technique that they're using. And what that is... And what they're doing here, this is, it's pretty good. In the book, um, 50 Ways to Say Yes, uh, I've mentioned that several times before. I need to make sure that I get that title right. can't remember who wrote, who wrote it or anything like that. Um, and it's also in 48 Laws of Power. One of the things that they talk about is that if you want to get somebody on your side, what you can do is you can ask them to do a favor for you. And uh, this is really good technique. Like if you have a new boss or anything like that, uh, make sure you read up, do your homework on it. Don't, don't screw it up and then come back to me because you made yourself look like a fool. But the gist of it is that if you want to pull somebody over to your side, especially somebody who is in power uh, above you, um, what you can do is you can ask them for a favor. It doesn't have to be anything big, just something that, you know, maybe only they can do for you. And you ask them for a favor and it's not that big of a deal. And so, of course, they'll think about it and they say, sure, you know, no problem. I'll help you out. I'll do this favor for you. And so after they've done a favor for you, what happens is it's much easier for you to ask them for another favor at that point, And they'll be much more likely to help you out again. Uh, same thing. They also mentioned it in the book, Predictably Irrational. And the way it works is when you do something one time, that's the hardest part is to get somebody to do something one time with with just about whatever it is you know they, in in predictably irrational they talk about starbucks and that starbucks is selling these you know six dollar coffees or whatever it is and the hardest part is to get somebody to do it the first time but when you do something one time and you have a relatively pleasant experience with it it becomes very easy for you to do that again I mentioned the podcast many, many times before. We're not always rational, but we like to tell ourselves that we are, right? So when we do something, we go back and we always tell ourselves that we had a good reason for doing that thing. So if you buy a $6 coffee at Starbucks and it turns out to be a pretty decent coffee, it is going to be a whole lot easier for you to go back the second time because you already did it once. And a crazy person wouldn't pay $6 for a coffee. You're not a crazy person. You, you enjoyed it. It was obviously worth it. So you go back and you do it again. And then you go back and you do it a third time. And it gets a little bit easier every time because now suddenly this has been something that you've done several times before. And so you don't even have to think about it anymore because you are a rational person and you have a reason for doing this thing and you're going to do it again. And the same thing is at play when you ask your boss for a favor. They give you a favor one time and then the next time you come to them and ask for something, well, they've already been helping you. And they wouldn't have done it if they didn't have a good reason to do it. So obviously they should help you again because they've already helped you once before. And this same technique is at play 
when they can get people who mean well to join uh, some sort of organization or join forces with something like Black Lives Matter or Antifa, and suddenly you say, hey, I'm marching with these people because I'm anti-fascist. I'm marching with these people because I believe Black Lives Matter. And sure, those things on the surface, at the very base level of those things, are absolutely great causes that most people would agree with. But once you march with them, once you consider yourself to be part of that group, once you start buying into some of the things they're saying, when the message slowly changes, or when the focus changes from, you know, we don't want cops to kill unarmed black people anymore, and then it slowly shifts to, well, we want to redistribute the wealth of anybody who makes more than X amount of dollars a year, well, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to buy into that because you already bought into the first thing that they said. You wouldn't have joined this organization if you didn't believe in what they were saying. You wouldn't have joined into this movement if it wasn't something worth supporting because you're a rational person, right? So if you got into it, you must have made a good decision. So you might as well just go along with the group right now. And that's how they can draw a lot of people in. And then before they know it, before even a lot of the the people know it, um, they're supporting policies that they wouldn't have otherwise supported. But now they're kind of sucked into the group trap. They're kind of sucked into that, that bias where they've already bought into a lot of these things. And so that helps pull them along with that. And it's a great way to, to grow their movement. Um, but you got to realize what they're doing there. And a lot of times what happens, we, like I said, we do the same thing with laws, the Patriot Act, the CARES Act, uh, the, the TAPS Act that's been floating around. Um, those are just a few of them that I can think of off the top of my head. But that's what's at play there. And so when people ask me, why aren't you using the Black Lives Matter hashtag, um, you know, Joe Jorgensen, uh, the libertarian presidential candidate, got herself into a, a little bit of hot water because she had tweeted something with the Black Lives Matter hashtag and, uh, you know, had said that it's not enough not to be racist, you have to be anti-racist. And uh, that turned into a whole big thing. And I, I do think that somebody else probably wrote that tweet for her. So I wasn't jumping on her as much as a lot of other people may have been about it. But, you know, what a lot of people brought up is like, look, when you use that the Black Lives Matter hashtag, a lot of times that gets identified the same way uh, as if you were supporting the Black Lives Matter organization. At the same time, if I think it was Dave Smith that pointed out, like, look, if, if she had been talking about repealing taxes or, you know, getting taxes uh, as low as they were back in the 50s, and she used the hashtag Make America Great Again, what would people think about that, right? What connotations does that bring? Look, someone else has adopted that slogan. Someone else is using that. And it carries with it all of the beliefs and all of the baggage that go along with the person who is known for that slogan. And so in the same way, when you type or tweet or whatever, hashtag Black Lives Matter, even though you may just mean, look, I I think that the lives of of African Americans are important— what that carries with it a lot of times is that you're supporting this organization and that you're supporting the things that they support. And that's where it gets messy. And that's where it's important for us just to stand up with our principles and say, look, this is what I stand for. We talk on this show about our show's three guiding principles, peace, property rights, and free markets. And we say, those are the things that I stand for. And if you're part of a different group, if you have different beliefs, whatever it is, I will happily stand with you. Wherever you stand with liberty, I will stand with you. And I'm happy to support you in those things. I'm happy to stand 
with people on the left when they talk about ending the drug war. I'm happy to stand with people on the right when they talk about lowering taxes. I'm happy to be with you there, but that does not mean that just because I'm against the drug war, I'm going to register Democrat and vote for Joe Biden this November. It doesn't mean that at all. You know, just because I think that the media is crazy and the left has gone insane doesn't mean that I'm going to rush to the polls and vote for Donald Trump either. I'm not interested in that. I'm not part of those groups. Those people do not represent me, and I don't want any part of that. So I will happily stand beside you. I will happily cheer you on when you're right, when we agree with things, when there's something that, that we can stand together on. But I'm not joining your club. I'm not flying your flag. I'm not posting your hashtag. That's not what I'm going to do. I have my principles, and that's what I am sticking to. And I think that's the best thing for all of us to do because there is a trap laid there. And when you join into that group, it becomes, it becomes very easy for you to get picked up by that mob mentality, be picked up by the group, and suddenly you're advocating for a lot of things that maybe you didn't expect to do before. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Keep sending me in questions. We'll see what's going on in the news and figure out what we're going to talk about next time. And I promise not to leave you hanging so long waiting for the next episode. So with that being said, you want to reach out to me. I'm on twitter.com slash Garrett again, facebook.com slash Garrett again, Garrett again at pm.me if you want to email me. And as always, Garrett just has one R. And until next time, stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.